she woke up with the whites of her eyes were yellow. She was yellow. They took her to the hospital. And uh, her bile ducts and so forth are absolutely full of stones, as is her gallbladder. And it's caused a lot of issues. And they transferred her to Levine. They've been trying to deal with that. They were able... Uh, yesterday to put a stent in to begin some drainage and calm down the inflammation probably in about three weeks she will have to go back for surgery and uh, they'll be taking out not only the gallbladder but they said the whole entire tree is the term they use the tree of the bile duct system they'll be removing all of that and so pray for this young lady in our church um, Brian and Tanya uh, Cook or her mom and dad and uh, they've been faithful members here at Pitts for many many years and so pray for little Elizabeth if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word Genesis chapter 15 dealing with the dark nights of the soul in verse 15 I mean in in chapter 15 verse 1 uh, Moses, as he writes, uh, begins, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood shall be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now underscore verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Ammonites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. We might be tempted to say, and termites. <laughs> you know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great text of the Old Testament, a text that is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. That Abram believed God and you credit it unto him as righteousness. 
Lord, what an example of faith Abram is to us. And as we've seen already in his life, this certainly does not mean that he was a man without faults and weaknesses. Because he stumbled and faltered. And yet, God, you renewed his faith. And he committed his pathway to you. And you used him mightily. Lord, as we read this text this morning and see Abram in a, in a somewhat dark and fearful and doubting time in his life, help us to remember that you're the God who stands with us and beside us. You are, are our refuge and tower of strength, a present help in time of trouble. You're the ever-present God, and you will shepherd us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. God, we thank you for your manifold provisions to us and the grace that you have shown us without which we would be lost. Lord, encourage us now and speak to us. All I can do is speak to ears. But God, through the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would speak to hearts and minds today. And have your perfect way and your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, am I I speaking to anybody that uh, when you were a child... Did you have any childhood fears? You know, was somebody hiding either in your closet or under your bed? And, and you know, at night if you, if you draped a, a hand or a foot over the bed, they were going to get you and drag you under the bed and do something awful to you. Uh, you know, I remember Connie as she was growing up and, and she'll have my neck for saying this but anyway uh, her best friend lived next door to her and her best friend was like three or four years older than her and and some best friend you know when Connie was just little bitty girl this best friend told her that there there was this evil wicked woman with big old long fingers and nails and big teeth and all that lived under her bed and she better not let a hand or her foot drape over at night because this lady would get her. Connie said she grew up terrified over that evil, wicked woman that lived under her bed. Some of you may have had childhood fears like that that just petrified you. And you know, we grow older, we we mature, and we discover that many of those childhood fears were irrational. You know, how could we even believe something like those things that we believed? Such childhood irrational fears. But you know, as we grow up, there are more substantial fears that you and I would consider to be anything but childish and silly. People today fear death. Some people even fear life. They fear living. Because they fear the challenges and the trials and tribulations that they are going to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Folks, even God's children sometimes are confronted with fears and doubts. You and I can have dark nights of the soul where we fear what tomorrow may bring. And we need to understand this is not an uncommon experience for the children of God. During the Boxer Rebellion, the China Inland Mission suffered greatly. And its founder, Hudson Taylor, said to a friend, I cannot read, I cannot think, I cannot even pray. But one thing I can do, I can trust. It was a dark time for Hudson Taylor. And we know that God eventually brought him out of that. 
You know, Isaiah the prophet said, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Well, in Genesis 15 here, we see that Abram is going through a dark moment. Some have referred to it as his dark night of the soul. Again, who among us has not experienced these times? Maybe you even went through some kind of high point in your walk with God only to find that weeks or months later you felt as though the heavens were silent and God was distant. You ever felt that way? Sure you have. And you know, oftentimes we fear because we may even entertain doubts in our weak moments that God is going to be faithful to His Word. We may question, is God really going to accomplish what He has said in His Word that He's going to accomplish? Again, today we see that Abram had all of these fears. And at such times, you and I learn that God's promises and God's provision can carry us through. God can always be trusted to do what He says He will do. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning in dark moments, trust God's provision. In dark moments, trust God's provision. Beginning in verse 1 again. After this, or after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so my servant in my household will be my heir. Now underscore that opening phrase where we're told after this or after these things. Now this points us back obviously to the events that we studied last week. When Lot has been captured in this warfare between the four kings to the east and the five kings of the Jordan Valley area. And Abram got involved. He went and rescued Lot. Now, why is it that Abram may be having some fears and doubts now? I mean, he won the battle. But I want to say to you, this is probably very much of a legitimate fear because Abram is probably afraid that these kings that he has defeated, you know, they're planning some type of revenge war. They're going to seek retaliation and they're going to come after Abraham in a revenge attack. And Abram feels very much alone in the land. And while he's very much alone and somewhat fearful, God appears to him in a vision. You see, the Bible tells us that back in those days, before people had the Scripture, God was, would oftentimes speak to people in visions. God would in some way come to people directly. Now, sometimes people today crave for God to speak like like that to them even now but folks I would remind you of what the scripture tells us that today we have a more sure and certain word from God we have the word of God we have the full canon of scripture all 66 books of the Bible that God has seen to it that we possess if you want to hear God speak today, just simply open your Bible and turn the pages and begin reading. That's how God speaks today. But God spoke to Abram in a vision. And in that vision, he had a very important message for Abram. He knew Abram's need. 
I think of King David in Psalm 139. God knew everything about King David because God had made him. And David confessed that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. God had knit him together inside of his mother's womb. God knew all of his thoughts before the thought had even entered his head. Folks, think about that. Think about the providence of God in that. That God would know our thoughts and, and our heart and our motives before these things even come to play in our lives God knew everything about King David just like he knew everything going on in Abram's heart here in Isaiah 40 the prophet asked why do you say O Jacob and speak O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord do you ever feel that way do you ever feel like God doesn't see what I'm going through how could God be letting me go through this? Does God not see? Does God not know? Of course he sees. Of course he knows. He knows everything. God knew Abram's need and he knows your need. Abram didn't need to fear. He didn't need to be afraid because of what God told him there in verse 1. Look at what God says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your Shield. I want you to underscore or circle that word shield in some way. Highlight that. I am your shield. You know, folks, we talk about the I am statements in the Bible, don't we? The great I am statements. This is one of them. Before we even get around to talking much about the I am statements like when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and Moses said who should I say has sent me and God said I am and then of course we know of the I am statements in the gospel of John where Jesus said I am the light of the world I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep I am the true vine I am the resurrection and the life those I am statements reveal the nature and the character of God and here we have one of the very first possibly the first I am statement in the Bible God says, I am your shield. Now, a shield is a weapon of defense, of course. With a shield, you can block the attack of the enemy. And God is saying, Abram, I'm going to be your shield. You might fear retaliation. You might fear these kings coming back after you once again. And you may fear other enemies in the land where I've called you to. But you don't need to be afraid. Because I am going to be your shield of defense. And so you don't need to be afraid. I think of Paul saying in Romans chapter 8 verse 31, If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. But not only did God promise that he would be Abram's shield of defense, he went on to say, Also, I will be your very great reward. I'm your shield and I'm your reward. Abram, in other words, was not going to have to fear provision. You'll recall Abram has just turned down great riches from the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom was willing to give him all the spoils of the war. I mean, they were Abram's anyway. He'd been, he'd been the one to defeat the kings in battle. But the king of Sodom said, just give me all the people and I'll let you keep all the possessions. And of course, Abram refused. And we, as we looked at last week, he never wanted it to be said that the king of Sodom in any way had made him rich. He was willing to trust God to provide for him. And, and God is reminding Abram of that here, that he is going to provide for him. He is going to take care of his every need in a foreign and distant land of where God has brought him. This is sort of like an Old Testament equivalent. 
to Philippians 4, 19, where the Apostle Paul says, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That, that is an assurance that Abram could know he would have from God. God would look after him. Now, I want you to notice what Abram immediately does. He questions God. If God is going to reward him, then how is he going to be rewarded? Because he and Sarai don't even have what a couple back then would have craved to have most. They don't have any children. And Abram is already, and Sarai as well, already at an advanced age. So what is God going to give him? I mean, Abram's already revealed that earthly wealth doesn't mean that much to him because he's turned down the king of Sodom. So what's God going to do for him that's really going to mean anything to him? And he says, a servant in my household is going to end up being my heir. He probably feels like he's advanced in years. Maybe his life is almost over and, and you know, he's going to die. And there's not going to be a lot to show from his life. Writers point out that Abram is probably actually going through some despair here. Maybe a little bit of depression and, and, and darkness. And he's asking an important question here. What's it going to matter when my life is over, God? What is it really going to matter? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I tell you what, your life and my life will only matter if we have lived to do the will of God. You remember Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer? He said, Father, I have done what you called me to do. I'm ready now to return to the glory that I had with you before. Will you be able to get to the end of your life and say, God, I've done what you've called me to do. That's the only way we'll know that we've had true significance in life. Because folks, this life is fleeting. Life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And you know what? We can't take anything with us, can we? I've never seen a U-Haul being pulled behind a hearse. We can't take it with us. What's my life really going to be about? Will anything be lasting that has mattered? Abram is asking all of this. He's asking uh, about God's ability to really give him anything that's going to have lasting significance. And God knows what Abram desires. And God is going to do more for Abram than Abram can even imagine. His provision for Abram is going to be absolutely priceless. Folks, you and I can know. We can know that God is going to take care of our needs. He's going to, if we will seek Him and do His will, He will help us leave, uh, live in such a way that, that we leave a legacy that our lives will have mattered. God, God knows what you and I need more than we need, more than we know. God is able to supply your needs. And he'll do so in, in his timing. And he may not even supply your needs the way you think he's supposed to do it. But when he does supply your needs, it'll be even better than you could imagine. Folks, as we go through life and we have these dark moments of the soul, we simply need to trust that God is there and he's our provision and he's going to take care of us. That's something we can lean upon. I mean, it's like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you worry about everything? God knows the hairs on your head. And you know, if he's given you life, he's going to take care of what you need. You can trust that God is going to take care of you and provide for you. 
And if you do God's will, He'll even provide for you in such a way that you can live according to His will. And there can be a legacy of faith that you leave behind. You can trust His provision. A second thing I want you to notice here, in dark moments, trust God's word. Look at verses 4 through 6. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God says to Abram in verse 4, his descendants going to be like the stars. Going back to what God had said to Abram all the way back there in Genesis chapter 12. You remember God's promise to him back then that, that he was going to make a great nation out of Abram. Now again, remember, as of yet, Abram and Sarai have no children. They don't even have one child. They're advanced in years. And you're hearing all of this. And you and your wife are beyond any type of childbearing years. And you're thinking, how in the world? You know, it's, God's saying it's not going to be Eliezer. He's going to make my descendants like the stars in the heavens above. How in the world? It's all going to begin with the promise of a son. God is reminding Abram right here in verses 4 and following that he has not forgotten his promise that he had made earlier to Abram. He's not forgotten his promise. Folks, just because God's timing was delayed does not mean that the promise was denied. Abram was going to have to trust God's word. God would indeed bring his word to pass in God's timing. And I want you to notice what verse 6 says. Verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited unto him his righteousness. That word believed here is very strong here. It means literally that Abram was resting all of his security, all of his future upon God and God alone. And he didn't even have the realization of the promise yet. He had not seen it come to pass with his own eyes. All it is at this point is God's word. God's promise. And what did Abram do? He believed the word of the Lord. In a dark moment like this, he trusted God's word. Folks, I want to spend a little bit of time here today because it really applies to you and me in a powerful way. This passage, of course, applies to us when it, when it comes to salvation, for example, and the assurance of our salvation. In fact, verse 6 here is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And the New Testament writers pick up on this. They use it multiple times to illustrate that salvation is by faith and not by works. For instance, the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Romans illustrates how we cannot save ourselves through doing good works or keeping the law. We are saved by trusting in God and God alone and what he has said he would do for us in Christ. Paul uses this very word, uh, this very verse here when he's communicating the gospel to the Romans. Paul is in that section in the book of Romans. He's just presented all of mankind's guilt. We're all guilty before a holy God. Jew and Gentile alike. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And as such, we are under the wrath of God. We are condemned and we have no hope in and of ourselves. There's nothing you and I could do to save ourselves. And Paul begins in in chapter 4, really the latter part of chapter 3 in Romans, weaving together this argument of salvation through faith in Christ alone. God has given His Son Jesus. He's promised that the one who looks to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation will have eternal life. While the one who is still trying to earn his own way or deserve salvation in some way is going to miss out on it. But the one who trusts God will receive it. And Abram is the perfect example for Paul to use. Because remember the Jews looked to Abraham as their spiritual father. And yet Paul says, you're trusting in the law. You're you're setting aside the righteousness of God in Christ and trying to establish your own righteousness. And Paul makes the point when, when we come to Genesis chapter 15, Abraham did not even have the law yet. The children of Israel have not been in Egypt yet. Moses has not even been born. The Ten Commandments haven't been given yet, nor has the rest of the law been, been communicated. And yet Abram believed God and God credited unto him as righteousness. Folks, don't miss what's being said. God imputed righteousness to Abram's account. On what basis? On what basis? On the basis alone that Abram believed God. What a great illustration uh, Genesis 15 is of salvation by faith. It's not by the works of the law. What did Abram get out of this? Well, Genesis 15, 6 says God credited unto Abram his righteousness. What's man's greatest need? It's for righteousness because the Bible says without holiness no one will see the Lord. So previous to this, this is something Abram did not possess. It's something apart from Christ we don't possess. The Bible says there is none who is righteous. No, not even one. And yet through faith in God's promise, God credited Abram as being righteous. He imputed righteousness to Abram's account. And then later on when Abram offers Isaac on the altar, James in the New Testament is going to point out that Abram in so doing proved by his deeds that he had faith. His deeds didn't save him. Presenting Isaac didn't save him. His deed, his deed of putting Isaac there on the altar only proved that his faith from Genesis 15 here was genuine. The New Testament writers take three chapters, Galatians 3, Romans 4, James 2, To comment on this one verse right here out of Genesis. Genesis 15, 6. Folks, this is a very important verse to grasp. It's sort of like the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. If you're in the darkness of your soul because you know in your heart that You're distant from God. You're lost. You don't know Him. What do you need to do? You need to believe God's Word. God's Word tells us He sent His Son. And the one who believes upon His Son rests on His Son and His Son alone. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You you lean on that alone. Trust in that alone. Then you will have life. Everlasting life. If you try to do what you can do, you will not have life. You trust in God's word, what he's done, 
you will have life. You will be saved. God through Christ will impute to your account righteousness. Folks, you you and I cannot earn salvation. We can't buy it. We can't deserve it. God has done it all for us in Jesus Christ. I may be speaking to somebody this morning. Your desperate need, you need to come to Christ. You need to stake everything upon Christ. You need to rest your life, your eternity, everything upon Christ. I'm telling you, he will not fail. You say, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. And to illustrate this, in Romans 4, where Paul is using this whole illustration about Abraham, he weaves King David into that discussion. King David committed the sin with Bathsheba. And as the Old Testament taught, there was no sacrifice for premeditated and willful sin. And that's why in Psalm 51, David cries out, You do not desire sacrifice, otherwise I would have brought it. David realizes that because of his willful sin, there was nothing he could have brought to God to atone for his sin. And so he cast himself on God's mercy and God's mercy alone. And then in Romans 4, Paul quotes David as saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David came to God on the basis of faith and faith alone. And what did it result in? David was forgiven. Through Christ, you can be forgiven. Trust God's word. Trust his word. Did the, has the Holy Spirit convicted of you of your sin and drawn you to faith in Christ? You believed on Christ and Christ alone and He made you a new creation in Christ? Then you can trust the promise of God. You are saved. God has saved you in Christ. Do you ever have moments of doubt? Listen, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, the human heart will deceive you. You can't trust it. Sometimes even the people of God go through doubts. We rely on feelings. But have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone? That's God's promise to us. In fact, wherever you're struggling in life, trust His word. Maybe I, you know, I could be speaking to a young person. You desire to be married. You can't seem to find somebody that would be a Christian that you could marry. Should you just find anybody, Christian or not, and marry? God says, no, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Can you trust in God that God is going to provide for you a Christian mate? Yes, you can trust that. Whatever the situation might be, trust God to be true to his word. Is God one day going to right all of the wrongs in an evil world? Yes, evil will not win. Is God going to one day make all all things right? Is he going to deal with all of the suffering in the world? Yes, the Bible says he's going to make all things new and there's going to be no pain, no suffering, no death. And just because we haven't seen the fulfillment of all these things yet doesn't mean that God has forgotten his promise. We can trust his word. Whether it's salvation or anything else in his word that his word addresses. You lean upon his word and you will not be disappointed. Believe his promise. Third thing I want you to see in dark moments. Trust God's covenant. From verses 7 to the end of the chapter. 
In verse, in verse 8, we see that even though Abram is a man of faith who believes God, yet he, he doesn't understand how in the world his descendants are going to possess the land. And, and so just like us, even though Abram trusts God, he asks for assurance. He's not asking out of skepticism. He's asking out of faith. He's, he's essentially saying, God, I know you can do it. And I believe your word, you're, you're going to do it, but I just don't see how in the world it's going to be done. Would you show me how? Would you give me something I can wrap my head around? And so what does God do for Abram? What, uh, what does God ask him to do? He asked him to bring these animals, to cut them in two. What we see here is what was known in ancient times as cutting the covenant. Cutting the covenant. Parties in that day who reached agreements would kill animals, cut them in two, and then together they would walk in between the halves, the two halves of the animal. And what they were doing is they would lay out the animals and both parties together would walk through. Both parties were essentially saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain here, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. Cutting the covenant. But I want you to notice the remarkable thing that takes place here. Abram cuts the animals, lays them out according to God's instruction. But when night falls, what happens? Abram falls into a deep sleep. And I want you to notice who walks between the animals. Does Abram? No. It's God and God alone who passes between the animals. It was God who made promises to Abram. It wasn't Abram to God. It was God to Abram. There's, and there's no conditions attached. This was a covenant of grace whereby God and God alone has made the promises. And God and God alone is pledging to carry these out. Again, what's being illustrated by Abram being in a deep sleep, not passing between the animals. This was not going to be a covenant where it was 50% Abram's part and 50% God's part where they're walking hand in hand between the animals. It's not even going to be 90% God and just 10% Abram. It's going to be 100% God. When we think about God's covenant with Abram, we may ask, why, if God was going to do this for Abram, was God going to send Abram's descendants down into Egypt for 400 years? Well, in Egypt, he was going to grow the nation under bondage. They're going to develop a lot of character, making them strong. Strong enough for that wilderness wandering. And he's going to give them a hunger for God and a desire for their freedom. But he's also giving the Amorite in the land time to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is long-suffering. Some people object to how later on when Joshua leads the people into the promised land, they're to wipe out all the Canaanites, but they forget that God gave the Canaanites more than 400 years to come to him, and they did not. So all that's left for Joshua and the people of God to do is to destroy them and enter in and possess the land. But what I want you to see concerning God's covenant with Abram is that despite the weight on Abram's part or the part of his descendants, we've gone from God saying, I will show you the land, then I will give you the land. And now in verse 15, the, the tense is used here. Essentially, God is saying, I, I've, I've given it to you and your descendants. In other words, in the heart and mind of God, it's already done. It's yet future but in God's mind, it's already done. Why? Because God's going to do what he says he will do. God's people are not always faithful. 
Abraham's descendants weren't always faithful. I think about how they rebelled in, in the wilderness. But God kept his promise. Because again, the covenant was not based on people. The covenant was based on God. And we can apply this to us. God has made with us the new covenant. The new covenant of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone bore your sins on the tree. Jesus did that. Salvation is not because God does his part and I do my part. No. We're saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's God and God alone who's made salvation possible. We're not always faithful today. We disappoint God too. But to the one who has trusted in Christ, God is going to do everything for you that God said he would do. Not one of his promises will fail. Paul says in Romans 8, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends Romans chapter 8 by saying there's going to be no separation from the love of God to those who are in Christ Jesus. Marvelous bookends. To those who have the, the new covenant and the blood of Christ, you've come trusting in Christ and Christ alone. What God has done for you in Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection uh, for your salvation, my salvation, for the one who's trusted in Christ and Christ alone, there's no condemnation and no separation to you and to me. And folks, it is God's doing. It's God's doing. God has made all of this possible. Abram was in a dark night of his soul and in that dark night he had the provision of God, he had the word of God and he had the covenant of God to fall back on. And today you and I have the very same thing. The provision of God, the word of God and the covenant of God through Christ's blood. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me today. You might be in a time of dark, the darkness of your soul. And it may be because you are without Christ. And you need to come to Christ. Trust what God's word has to say about being saved. That it is through Christ and Christ alone. God will be true to his promise. Jesus Christ will be the light of your life. And he'll take you out of darkness. But you, must, you need to come to him. Repent and believe. Is the darkness of your soul like Abraham due to some fear in your life? Maybe you know you're saved. But you're concerned about your needs being met. Maybe you're concerned about your circumstances. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Well, you know this. If you're God's child through faith in His Son, He will be your shield and your great reward. He is able to take care of you. And you can rest in that. In the darkness of your soul, you can know that God will finish what he started in you. God was going to finish what he started in Abram. God had led him from Ur of the Chaldeans. God wasn't going to forget about him now. And the new covenant that he's made in the blood of Christ with us, he's not going to forget. Everything he has promised for his children will come to pass.
You and I don't see it now. But just because we don't see it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about it. He is going to do what He promised. And Father, as your people, we can take great comfort in that. Because we see all through the Bible, whether it's the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, you're the one who takes the initiative. You're the one who executes it, who does it. And we simply believe. Just as Abram believed God and you credited it unto him as righteousness. We are to believe upon Christ. Lord, thank you that you have done this in your grace and mercy. And I could be speaking to somebody here this morning who's still thinking, I've got to do it. I've got to earn this. I've got to accomplish it. I've got to deserve it. Lord, open their eyes today to see that salvation is all of you. It's your grace. Father, bring assurance to the people of God. That you will finish in us what you've started. And you are right there with us. You have promised us in the great commission. Lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. We are not alone. You're here with us. And he who hath begun a good work in us. Will continue it unto the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6 says. And we can bank on that. Lord, thank you for this blessed assurance you've given us. If it depended on us, Lord, we'd fail, we'd falter, we'd be in trouble. We're so thankful that it depends on you and you alone. Lord, we can persevere because you persevere. You bring your covenant to pass. And I pray that this would be a great assurance to somebody here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you?